Innings Podcast, presented by the Seattle Times. Your host is Seattle Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish. This semi-weekly slash monthly slash whenever he gets around to it podcast talks about the Mariners, Major League Baseball, food, and whatever else Ryan and his guests decide to talk about. And now, here's your host, Ryan Divish. All right. You remember when the podcast was going to be like a weekly deal and we were on a good little roll there? Um, the holiday season hit, and so I went home for Christmas to Montana to see my family, something I don't do very often, but, you know, I had to go back to Scenic Haver, Montana. And Larry also got caught up in Seahawks mania and having to, to work and cover that, so it just wasn't really working. We were going to try for doing a podcast uh, right after Christmas and before New Year's, but just some logistical scheduling things just did not work out. And so we decided to break. Now we recorded one. It is Tuesday afternoon, 3.41 p.m. I'm recording this intro. I just got off the phone with Larry about 20 minutes ago. And so we just had a conversation. Look, part of the problem of not having a podcast is really hasn't been very much going on. Uh, Jerry DePoto told us uh, that he wasn't going to do much over the holiday break, uh, that the pitchers that he was looking at probably wouldn't sign till. January, uh, mid-January at the earliest, or maybe even the next couple days, and then, or could be up all the way up until spring training. So, um, they're not, there wasn't a whole lot going on in terms of Mariners news. Now, there was other news. Larry and I both submitted our, um, our Hall of Fame ballots, and that always comes with a fair amount of consternation and debate and response from readers. So what Larry and I did was we just kind of talked about our ballots this year, our Hall of Fame ballots and how we got to the decisions that we made on some of the selections. I mean, we do this kind of every year. We always have this one. Usually it was always about Edgar, but this year it was just more about the other guys we voted for. So, um, you know, it's, I don't know if it's the most stimulating conversation world, but I think a lot of people do care about it and why we vote the way we did. So that's the first part of the, our interview. We later get to um, more sign-stealing accusations. And some news came out today. The Boston Red Sox and that 2018 World Series team was stealing signs using the replay room. Uh, this is not the first time I've heard of that happening with the Red Sox and with other teams. Um, if you recall, I believe Marco Gonzalez came out and said something after a start in Boston in 2018 about them stealing his signs or that they kind of cheated. And so, um, you know, if you listen around baseball, that's always been kind of a knock on the Red Sox and that they'll, they're willing to do anything. Uh, so we talk about that. Then there's also the uh, – the Astro sign stealing stuff, uh, Jeff Passon wrote today that there could be coming out with the punishments in the next couple weeks. So Larry and I discuss what we think. It really hasn't changed from what we've talked about in the past. Um, I'm open to suggestions on how we do the next podcast. I mean, even if the Mariners do sign somebody, I don't think it's going to be super like a big name or anything like that. I know I mentioned with Larry, and I think I mentioned on the last one that they're They've had some meetings with Ty, the representatives of Taiwan Walker and Jimmy Nelson and some of those guys, um, and then a, a slew of kind of veteran relievers that are bounce-back types. So, um, again, those aren't game-changers, but they could help the Mariners, and most likely if they did help the Mariners at all in the first two months, they would trade them. So we discussed that a little bit, too, at the very end. But other than that, I'm willing to take suggestions. I think maybe we'll just do a um, 
a mailbag type of podcast next week and I'll, I'll ask for some questions on Twitter or you can email me some thoughts or questions and we'll get into that and just kind of do a grab bag. The Mariners pre-spring luncheon is in January, I think it's January 24th, so we'll do a podcast after that and I'll post the audio from that like I always do too, so I'll give you all that. But let's just get to Larry and we'll get back into the podcast swing of things. Welcome in Larry Stone, venerable columnist of the Seattle Times, currently a football columnist more than a baseball columnist, but Larry, how was your holidays? <laughs> uh, it was really good. Uh, two of my children who are off at college came home for, for extended stays, so that's always great. Uh, one's back at school, one leaves on Thursday, so unfortunately it's coming to an end, but uh, right now, my life is Seahawks, Seahawks, Seahawks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the spring training in what about five weeks is kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. Don't you say that? Don't you <laughs> say that? Uh, Larry, you you miss it. You know you do. You you're gonna shut complain and everything, mouth. but you're you're ready for spring training. Shut your dirty mouth. Um, <laughs> As I think me and you have mentioned it on here before, but we're not huge fans of Christmas, but I would imagine having your kids home made it a little bit better. It, it was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the holiday Christmas is not my favorite time, but uh, we're both a couple of curmudgeons in that regard. Yeah, I uh, went home to Montana, and I got I was there for about two and a half weeks, and I think I drank every day but two. Um, you know, Christmas is actually not bad. Uh, with my... You know, I just go there to see my parents mostly, and that was it was fun. Me and my dad did our tradition of watching Christmas Vacation and drinking a bottle of whiskey, and you know, laughing at <laughs> laughing hysterically at it at all times, still to this day. Even though you could probably recite. Oh it yes, we can. before they say every word. Yes, yes, we can. Um, but no, it was good, and that's why we had the kind of the extended break, and then we were going to do it one week. Um, I think it was after in between Christmas and New Year's, but like. You had Seahawks stuff, and I had some stuff going on at home that I couldn't get out of, and so it just didn't work. So while we were over the break, both Larry and I submitted our Hall of Fame ballots. And um, before we get to what we actually picked, I mean, I I put a lot of thought into it. And this year, like, my last spot was kind of difficult for me. But there, I wouldn't say apprehension, and I don't really care if people are pissed off at me or don't agree with my ballot. But, I mean, just because of Twitter and being, like, being, um, trying to be transparent about who you vote for and stuff, the moment you release it on Twitter, you just don't even want to turn on your phone or your computer that day. Just because, and I even preface this, like, I don't care what you think about my ballot, and yet, you just got, I just got drilled with, <laughs> you know, people after people, agreeing, disagreeing, whatever. You, you find yeah. that now? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's changed the, the the tenor of Hall of Fame battling, like, you know, completely from from when I used to do it in the in the dark ages. Um, 
And in, in a lot of ways, it's a good thing to get the debate going. In a lot of ways, I think it leads it can lead to groupthink. You know, you, yeah. if, if you are the type of person who's concerned about what people say, you might not vote for someone you think should, is worthy because you don't want to face the, the criticism. Or conversely, you might vote for the Twitter darlings that you know will get you praise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... Uh, I voted for Omar Vizquel this year, and, and I knew that was going <laughs> to bring yeah. wrath upon me, uh, and it did. You know, this is—it's interesting. Uh, as with a lot of people, there's a contingent who is absolutely adamant that he belongs, and there's a contingent that's absolutely adamant that he doesn't belong, and they each—they use your vote or lack of vote as a sign that the system is uh, failing. I know. You know, yeah, it's like. There's there's no consensus on much of this. So there's everybody who wants to change the system. It's it's just not going to work because people like Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds and, and Omar Vizquel and even Edgar in his time. Uh, there's there's just such strong feelings either way. There's contrary to what a lot of people believe. There is no right or wrong answer. So, uh, you know, a lot of these people are border you know borderline and you can make cases for and you can make cases against on a lot for a lot of people on this ballot so um you know i think in the long run the baseball writers of association of america gets the right people in there it might take too long as is the case was the case with edgar and larry walker but uh you know i think i've said it before but most of the almost all of the quote mistakes that have been made in hall of fame people like you know harold baines i think most people agree probably shouldn't be in is by the veterans committee not by the baseball writers yeah you're you're right it's 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 funny in that and it's just like um they use one person one vote for one person on a 10 ballot uh a 10 person ballot and and it is different to sit there and say that this is this is why the system's broken. It's 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 a totally illogical argument to use the ballot of one person um, and one vote of a ten person ballot to sit there and define a system, define a system or a, th- a set of thinking when the actual criteria is relatively nebulous um, and all these other things. Like it's like with Vizquel, because a lot of the saber people um, say he's not worthy you know they they look at the the length and the the time it took to accumulate these numbers the counting stats and all this stuff they they go and they go off that but realistically the saber people and they should be quick to admit this is they have no technical um or no empirical data to say how good of a defensive shortstop he was. I mean, they because UZR and and DRS and all those other things were not around um, when when it, when Omar Vizquel was playing, particularly at the height of his career. So now then you have the narrative of people that actually watched him play defensively, and, and they have that aspect of it. But there is no empirical data. I mean, they can sit there and say they do, but they don't. Because even currently now, the defensive metrics that we use for the current players are not even all that accurate at times either i mean there there's a wide margin of error on a lot of these things and they aren't consistent from year to year to year so i, I mean I, I understand like people want to go off on the counting stats on omar um but 
you know, there is no empirical data. So you can sit there and say he was the greatest shortstop of a generation, and maybe he was, but there's no data to support that. And also there's no data to support the fact that somebody might say, well, he really wasn't that good of a shortstop. Well, maybe he was, but there is no real data other than mm-hmm. errors and fielding percentage to show that. And th- we already know that those aren't exactly um, useful numbers as well either. Yeah, you know, and I was almost swayed by – I read a lot of articles. You know, Jay Jaffe does the most comprehensive <laughs> an- analysis of each candidate, mm-hmm. and he's very anti uh, this scale, mainly for his offensive numbers. Uh, but in the end, I decided, like, in what my – this is one case where I trusted my eyes and, and the, 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 the peers who, who rave about Omar as the best – shortstop of his generation and you know his fielding percentage i know is a flawed stat but you know i'm with you on the defensive metrics i mean you see you see it in guys who uh from year to year they you know center fielder can go from being like the best center fielder in the league to being a subpar center fielder just uh, like by i i doubt if that center fielder got that much worse it's just that the stats i think in some cases are unreliable and uh the metrics and with Omar I just think uh I I trust my my gut on this one you know I I do like the numbers and war and all that stuff and I use it heavily but this was one case where I felt I needed to go beyond that and um and that doesn't make you wrong for doing that because there is no you don't have to I mean like that's another thing is just like saber people they want to use war for every for every major my God, we got two different war war statistics, and again, war the, the current usage by Fangraphs relies on a defensive metric that we didn't have in prior years. So you're basically looking at offensive war, and even even the base running number on that doesn't factor in. Yeah, and the counting numbers, uh, yeah, it took him a lot of years to accumulate that, but he still has, I think, more hits than then uh you know he's got close to 3000 hits so that that means something to me as well i think and uh uh yeah yeah he was a, a punch hitter you know he, he he had no pop at all but uh you know i i think when you look at what well, i don't have it in front of me 27 2800 hits that that still speaks loudly to me um you know Ozzy smith he he's He's the Aussie Smith of the the next generation, and I know the uh, Saber people will tell you that he wasn't Aussie's equivalent as a fielder or as a, as a hitter. But I think he was close enough to warrant my vote. Uh, I mean, again, it's just like you can take, and that's what I was saying is like people get upset because you make one vote for one player out of ten. They don't take into consideration that they may have great agreed with your other nine votes. Yeah, and I mean, like a, another example is when Ken Griffey Jr. wasn't on three ballots. You know, people howled like that's proof that the baseball writers need to you know take the vote away from him. He got ninety nine percent of the vote. I think that's pretty darn good. You know, yeah. uh, uh, it, it's it's a it's a vote. It, it's it's not uh, a mandate. And, uh, you know, people just tend to think that there should be this uniformity of opinion that uh, just doesn't exist in in life. And I think if you can get that much of a consensus on Griffey, the fact that three people didn't vote for him and might have even voted strategically to uh, uh, knowing that he was going to get in, which I think could also happen with Jeter ultimately, 
and uh, but the, the ballot was even more crowded when when Griffey uh, went in. And, you know, so I, you could justify a case for uh, okay, I know he's going to get ninety plus, so I'm going to vote for this person who might be off the ballot if I if he doesn't get five percent. So yeah, uh, although I mean to be honest, like. And it and maybe it's just the New York mindset, but Larry, if 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 one of us or if somebody didn't vote Jeter on the ballot, there'd be uproar in New York from the writers <laughs> and everybody else. You know as well as I do. Well, I was stunned when Mariano was a hundred percent. To be honest, I didn't think anyone was ever going to be a hundred percent because yeah, I because mean, if anybody should have been, it should have been Larry. Or I'm sorry, Larry, but Griffey, I'm Larry. Not you. I'm well, sorry. Thank you. Thank, thank you. That's yeah. awfully nice. Yeah. Uh, well, if anybody should have, it should have been Hank Aaron or Willie yeah. Mays. You yeah. know. Uh, well, I'm talking about recent ballots. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Griffey should have been as well as Mariano. But there are certain people that come on the ballot every once in a while where you just cannot make a case against them. They're yeah. just and Griffey was one and. Uh, Mariano was one and Jeter is one, but there have been others too, and they haven't been. There have been many others, and they have not been unanimous. I mean, one day Mike Trout's going to be on the ballot, and uh, you know he'll have put up a Mickey Mantle-like career, and he probably won't be unanimous. Uh, maybe he will now that the now that the trend has been set with Mariano. Maybe it won't be as hard in the future for the super super superstars. But uh, somebody had to break through, and it was Rivera. Yeah, it's just. I wish, I wish the H the Hall of Fame would have made all ballots um, public. public. Yeah, I mean, I know we voted for it to be public, um, but they didn't want it. I I wish they would have done that, just because then, like, look, if you're gonna do it, if you're gonna vote strategically, or if you have, you know, however you want to do it, then you know, you know, have some accountability for it. I I mean, I know that it in no other walk of life when you vote do you have to do that you know like in political elections which are vastly probably more important than than uh a museum um, probably you, did yeah. i hear a probably yeah <laughs> I mean, it just depends i mean maybe not the haver city haver montana city council but um but yeah i mean like those are more important and there's no accountability for how you chose, you know, it's perfectly fine for whatever reasons you believe in, in a public election, you can do it and not have to lead to any criticism or whatever. Although my God, anymore, people will tell you how you vote when you're like, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I'd rather just have it out there. So like, look, if you're, if you're going to vote this way, um, you know, then, then own it, you know, give your reasons because it is, you know, while it is our own vote, it is a privilege, but it is something that I think should be up for some transparency level on that. Well, I think it's important to reiterate what you said that people might have missed, that the Baseball Writers of Association voted to require everybody to reveal their vote and presented that to the Hall of Fame, and the Hall of Fame overruled that and said I, no. I think the Hall of Fame got some... Inf some um, Got some uh, a push from some of the retired baseball writers because this vote was done at the All Star Game meeting three years ago, I think two three years ago, where that's all current writers, and I think some of the and it was I wouldn't say it was unanimous, but I'd say it's about eighty five percent of the writers voted, you know, to make it. But I think some of the the maybe the non-working or the retired baseball writers that are still voting uh, push back. Some of them that you know former big writers have some pull, 
you know, I won't name names, but I've, I was told that some of the former writers that kind of the older guys that mm-hmm. push back towards the hall of fame saying, you can't do this. We don't want this. You know, it's always, it should never be like that. But well, uh, you used to be a voter for life. Once you reach the 10 year uh, requirement of 10 years in the, in the association, even after your retirement, but they changed the rules on that a few years ago where now, uh, well, you get how many years do you get after you retire? Five, five years or something uh, like. That. I have no idea. Uh, five, five or ten years after you retire, and then you're off the ballot. So those old writers that you're talking about will soon be out of the picture completely once you you know people get phased out, mm-hmm. uh, and, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Be, you know, I, I know the counter argument. I know <laughs> since I'm in the uh, old writer category myself, but still active. Um, they say, well, you know, there's people on the ballot that I saw in my prime, even though I'm retired, I, you know, uh, I saw them and I should be able to vote for them. But um, I don't think you should, you know, if you're you've been, been out of the game for 25 years or, or longer, why should you be voting for the, the Hall of Fame when you're not even actively involved with the, with baseball coverage? Yeah, exactly. I agree completely. I, I, I don't know. And we've seen the shift in younger voters. We're starting to see that shift, and we'll see. Um, the but, other thing is, is, real quick, is they also changed the rule from 10 years. To you 15. were on the ballot for – you used to be on the ballot for 15. And yeah. when you were on the ballot for 15, let's say a guy retired when he was uh, you know, 41 or something, and 15 years later, he's still on the ballot. And some of the – there may be very – a lot of people who were voters who never saw him play, whereas the older writers were would be the only ones who saw him play. But now, with them all, only on the ballot for ten years, that's less likely to happen. Yeah, I mean, like this current ballot. Uh, I, I mean, I saw all of them play. Maybe not all in person. I didn't cover all of them, but you know, I have a more than just a passing recollection of these guys as players. So it's a little different now. Um, I'm looking at your ballot and mine. Very similar. Very similar. I think. Okay, I had Billy Wagner, and I had Jeff Kent, and you had Sheffield and Omar Vizquel. Those were our only differences because we both had Bonds. Let's just get to Bonds and Clemens first of all. Um, <laughs> we, we have this discussion every yeah, year. Yeah, every year. I mean, like we we've reiterated our reasons for voting for them, um, uh, and I you know some people are just gonna hate it no matter what. And some people are going to agree with it. It does seem like a younger group of people agrees with us more. I think kid people that grew up around that era and just kind of accepted for what it was are, are more willing to agree with us than others. But, you know, what kind of vitriol did you get from that? Uh, almost none. I mean, uh, I think um, people have sort of stopped arguing about that because – you know they've been on the ballot now for uh, eight years, I think. Well, eight years for for Clemens, and uh, I'm not sure where Bonds stands. They're reaching the end of it, but I think by now people have pretty much said what they want. You know, made their everyone's made their points, and uh, you know, I think I think it's slowly coming around. They're on the tracker. Uh, Clemens is at 74.5 percent, and Bonds is virtually the same. So you know that. Uh, that doesn't mean they're going to get in. You got to have seventy-five percent. The people who tend not to make their ballots public tend to be much more conservative. Mm-hmm. So, so you know that was always what uh, Edgar faced. You know, if he was at seventy-five percent in the in the uh, tracker of uh, Ryan Th- Thibodeau, 
that meant he was probably going to not that he was not going to make it because the un uh, revealed ballots never were kind to him, and that's even more the case with Bonds and Clemens. Um, so you know they they probably stand to finish at around fifty percent, and I think it's harder for them to make up that difference than it is for someone like Edgar, who you can just make a baseball argument and people might be swayed with Bonds and Clemens. There is no baseball argument to be made. I mean, they're the best. They're they're in the top three all time at their position. So the baseball argument is uh, is uh, is non-existent. It's no, a, it's an ethical argument or a moral, right. and moral that's argument. harder to sway people on. Yeah, they're at so Bonds, according to um, not Mister Tibbs Tracker on the public and he's seventy. Bonds is seventy five point nine, and Clemens is seventy four point five. Both of them finished around fifty nine percent last year. So this is the eighth year. They got nine and ten. Do they get in, Larry? Uh no, I don't think they get in. Do you think they get in under the Veterans Committee, or do you think the Veterans Committee would be more difficult? For them I think the Veterans Committee will be far more difficult. Because it's former uh, players. For former players, and it, I think it's going to be an evolution thing. I think that now, you, you know, the, the, the players who retired 25 years ago, I think, are ten, tend to be uh, – the Veterans Committee is a mixture. It's executives like Pat Gillick, guys like that. It's former players like Joe Morgan and guys like that. And then it's uh, – there are a handful of writers on there. I think Tim Kirkjian and Claire Smith – we're on the the last veterans committee, so uh, I think the old <laughs> guard is more likely to be hardcore against Bonds and Clemens. But as time goes by, you're going to get people who might uh, be younger and have a different feeling about that. Um, or I mean, they won't they won't be younger. They'll still be old, but they'll be from a different generation than the one that's currently in charge of the veterans committee so so you just described uh, yourself is that what you're talking exactly about? <laughs> god i'm just a jerk <laughs> i'm just a jerk so i think that maybe the uh the feeling may switch and i've always felt that at some point maybe somebody who's in the hall of fame now may be revealed to be a steroids user i mean there's people in there now that we have suspicions about but uh what if they're already in the Hall of Fame? And I don't think the Hall of Fame would kick them out. So, you know, um, there's a scenario by which we have a known steroid user in the in the Hall of Fame, and then that makes you know it hard to argue against keeping out somebody like Bonds or or Clemens. We have known habitual Greenies users in the Hall of Fame. Well, yeah, th- that's mean, the like thing. Mickey that, Mantle's yeah. book. Mickey Mantle's book talked about how much he used greenies all the time because he'd be hungover, and he'd yeah, pop speed all the time to get him through the day. Right. I mean, that was a commonplace thing back in the '60s, and now that's banned in baseball. So, um, yeah, and uh, and I mean, don't you think that some of the uh, electees have probably? At some point, use steroids. I mean, it was rumored about Piazza and Bagwell for a long time. Biggio as well. I mean, and those guys got in. There were others. I, you know, I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to go back and recent memory. But yeah, you, we don't those, know. Those are the, those are the three I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. but we don't I mean, know. I mean, like, no, we don't know. And, I mean, when that first, when whatever it was the Mitchell report or whatever came out, and the number of pitchers. I mean, like. My God, Ryan Franklin of all people got popped for using steroids. Did you? Did he seem like the typical <laughs> steroids user? Andy no. Pettit, you know. That, and that, and that's the crux of my argument for voting for Bonds and 
and Clemens is that we just don't know. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I believe that they both did, but, uh, I also just, if you're going to start keeping people out, you'd almost be hard to vote for anybody from that era because you just don't know. So, yeah. you know, their stats, Barry Bonds is still the all time home run leader, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And, uh, and Clemens is still a what a six or seven times Cy Young winner. So, um, you know, it's, I, I just think it's hard to keep two guys who are the best at their position for for a generation out of the Hall of Fame. Where do you stand on? Um, so we're on the steroids topic. Where Manny Ramirez. St- Manny Ramirez and Sammy Sosa. Yeah, well, uh, I have a different point of view on each of those guys. Uh, it, that that was that was probably the most common uh, email I got. Yeah, was well, you voted for Bonds. Well, how can you not vote for Sosa? Like they're like they're a matched set. My response is like Barry Bonds was ten times the player Sammy Sosa was. Yeah, I didn't vote for Sammy Sosa because he. I did not. My no vote for Sammy Sosa wasn't because of steroids. It was because I didn't think he was a good enough player. But I would have voted for him, and I actually have voted for him mm-hmm. uh, in past. Uh, ballots you know he did hit 600 plus home runs but that's really all look, he did though that's all he did yeah i mean in, in the end i just decided the other guys were better now manny is a totally different case and uh i'm you know i'm interested to hear your thoughts but uh he was busted twice after baseball uh codified the rules on steroid on on uh, peds which was not the case in the era of, you know, Bonds and Clemens, the, the wild, wild west era. And so uh, to me, that is so same as Rafael uh, Palmero, who was a 500 uh, homer, 3000 hit guy. The only one not in the Hall of Fame who uh, um, who's eligible, I believe. Um, and, you know, he was popped for steroids as well after the after the rules were put in place. So for me right now, that's a deal breaker. I may re-examine that down the road but i mean manny is a hall of fame player by every measure except for that one and so you know that's that's my line in the sand is is and then you know we're going to face it big time in about two years when when, alex uh, when alex is on the ballot uh i mean like look you're right i mean manny is guilty of testing positive twice and for being stupid like you knew you knew that they were testing and they were making sure they were, you were getting real tests. I mean, this wasn't in my guess is he tried to fake it, you know, tried to, you know, cheat the system and got caught. Well, look, and it's not just once he got, it's not just, he got, it's not once he got busted twice. You know, he got a hundred games. So it's just like one, you know, it's like one, you're, you're dumb enough. Oh, maybe you did take a tan supplement. Second time. Yeah, no, you're, you're stupid or you're trying to cheat the system. So no, I don't, that was kind of where I, the line of the sand with Manny. I don't like looking at Sosa's numbers. It's all home runs. He was a God awful fielder. He, he had the cork bat incident too. I remember, but yeah, he, I don't know that he's a hall of fame player. Now I could readjust, but like I was looking at the ballot this year and, and I mean, I mean, like, are you really going to sit there other than the number of home runs that he hit, like total home runs? Are you going to try and tell me that, that somehow Sammy Sosa is a better outfielder than Larry Walker or Andrew Jones 
or, you know, Barry Bonds or like, you know, even you could make the argument better than Sheffield as an all around player. You know, I mean, come on. He did have an incredible run there. I mean, look, 60, 66, 63, 50, 64, and 49 home runs. I mean, but at that point, you know, in the steroid speculation, yeah, that was where his height is when it was really rolling, too. So you yeah. can make that argument. I mean, I don't know. I, I was never a big Sosa fan, but that wouldn't that's not what holds me against that. Um yeah, he had an OPS uh, with all all those home runs. His OPS was seven seventy nine, not even eight hundred. Oh no! He, oh no! He, excuse me, I'm I'm looking at the wrong. No, it was eight seventy eight. Yeah, it was eight hundreds. But yeah, he just he was he. Other than hitting home runs, though, he wasn't a very good player. I mean, I, and I know that's a big part of the game now, but like in terms of doing other stuff, it wasn't. You know, maybe I'll, like like I said, I could reexamine next year, but uh, not this year. Yeah, you know, there was, you know, you talked about the difference in our votes. Uh, you know, I, Sammy was one I considered strongly, along with the two that we differed on, Kent and, and Wagner. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, those, are, those three were the ones that I really thought hard about. But, you know, you get to vote for 10, and, uh, you know, a lot of people don't, but I think there are 10 worthy. But, uh, you know, it came down to me with uh, to Sheffield and Viscal would it be Sheffield and Viscal or would it be uh, Wagner, Kent or Sosa and I just ultimately voted decided Sheffield and Viscal so like to, for, for like transparency sake Kent was the last guy I checked because I was like going back and forth between Kent and Sheffield um, and I just I mean I didn't I don't necessarily love the Kent choice and I, I mean I was looked I read one thing and I thought Sheffield and I read another thing and I thought Kent and I went Kent I mean you know and it's like again I, a year from now if I do more reading and more research I can't imagine I would do could do much more than that like people think we just like mark these sheets up I mean I spent like three days going through and reading everything I could on these guys especially everything Jay Jaffe wrote and looking at all the numbers and doing these baseball reference deals this isn't something you take lightly you know I waited 10 years to get this and I'd have to go back again and reassess. I mean, that's one that I could reassess um, moving forward. The Schilling one, where is he at? Oh, He's at 80.3 right now. But, you know, I just saw uh, something from uh, Ryan Thibodeau, who runs the Not Mr. Tibbs site that's the in, you know indispensable ballot tracker site. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he said that there are 30 ballots behind at this point last year. So I, I don't really know why that is. Um, as, I think the same number of people are voting, but for some reason they're not revealing their votes. So Schilling at 80 percent, he's a classic guy who's probably not going to uh, – he's going to drop with – probably, I think, with the non-disclosed uh, ballots. So uh, I think he'll make a jump this year, but I don't think he's going to make it. Uh, I think it's going to be down to Jeter for sure, and then Larry Walker is just going to be – really really close and could go either way but uh shilling is definitely trending in the right direction and i think he's going to get there now, you know i think there are people who hold his politics against him mm-hmm. and i've seen tweets and and facebook posts to that effect uh i hate his politics but you know i think i think it's incumbent on us to vote for him on his baseball merits and not uh, and not his his politics i mean i, I you know 
I think part of the hatred of Schilling goes beyond his politics. He's just not a good person in a lot of regards when it comes to treating other people. And, 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 you know, I think he uses his political leanings to hide behind some of that, some of his inherent uh, personal philosophical choices as well. But again, you're right. Like, look, you know, a lot of baseball writers lean one way or the other, but a good portion and this is I, I would I don't I would assume fans know this, but a good portion of um, baseball players lean pretty far to the right, and you know so if you're not voting for them based on that, then you're not voting for a lot of guys. So I, I just he he has Hall of Fame numbers. He was a Hall of Fame performer on every level, and I think he deserves to be in. Boy, that would be an interesting speech, though. Could you imagine that? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I think he'd probably <laughs> that uncomfortable feeling when it's like when you're at when you're at uh, crazy you're when you're at Thanksgiving dinner and your crazy uncle who believes in all the conspiracy starts to conspiracy theories has a few drinks in him and starts telling you about how the moon landing was fake. You're like, <laughs> okay, yeah. I would wonder. <laughs> I would hope that he would like rise to the occasion and just uh, you know. I mean, leave he, all that stuff at home. But he, you never he appreciates know. the game so much. You know, he appreciates uh, the history of baseball so much and kind of the hallowed nature of that. You think he would do that, but he's also really freaking petty. Yeah. I mean, he really is. Yeah, I'm sure he's harboring a a big grudge right now. But, you know, he's – I think – yeah, I voted for him every year he's on the ballot. But I understand why he it's taken him that long. I mean, he's sort of like Musina. Uh, and who it took a few years the the you have to get past the sort of the old school thinking that you have to have 300 wins which you know i we're i think we're getting to to that point but uh you know he didn't have the wins that used to be the criteria but you know now we don't look at wins the same but there are still a lot of older writers who say well he's way short of 300 wins so he's not a hall of fame pitcher and uh i I don't think that's going to be uh the case much longer there's you know as guys like musina and uh other guys who you know the in the era of the five-man rotation and the and the bullpens uh, predominant the the bullpens taking over you're just not going to get 300 win guys like you used to or if at all so you've got to change your thinking on that well it appears that well obviously jeter's getting in oh my god um the poetry that'll be written about the captain <laughs> um do you think walker gets in he's at 83.9 yeah, yeah. i mean it's his last year too uh, i do I do think that there is there are people who take that into consideration. I mean, look at Edgar; mm-hmm. he shot up his last year because uh, you know it's it's a moment of truth. You you know that you this guy doesn't have any more shot, mm-hmm. and there's been as with Edgar, there has been a wave of support from him for 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 him. I'm talking about Larry Walker from influential people like Jay Jaffe and, and others who are advocating on his behalf. And I think that means a lot as well. Uh, so uh, I think he's going to sneak in. Yeah, I hope so. Um, look, I, I know the splits and everything like that. Um, but, man, he really was a great player. I, I, he played so unbelievably hard. 
and I think that shortened his career because of it, because he played, you know, diving, and he was a, a fantastic base runner and an unbelievable fielder. And, uh, you know, I think that definitely shortened his career a little bit by because of injuries and how hard he played and how kind of just how, like, what a maniac he was in the way he played. Yeah, I mean, do you know how many seasons he had of 150 games played or more? Mm-mm. One. Yeah. One. <laughs> I mean, so he was hurt, hurt a lot. Because he run into walls and stuff like that. You know, he just was nuts. No, I know. And it is, it's hard to unpack the, the Coors Field factor. Uh, but, you know, that's that was his ballpark, and he mastered it. I mean, it uh, he, he won batting titles at 363, 379, and 350, and he had a year where he had 366 and didn't win a batting title. Yeah. So he's a 300, 400, 500 guy like Edgar yeah. uh, with uh, gold glove uh, status and, like you said, a great base runner as well. So to me, he's a, he's a no-brainer. Yeah, that's – um, so who goes on next year? Do you know who's on next year? Uh, I haven't even looked. Let me see. I can Google it real quick. Uh, here we go. 221. We got your, uh, hmm. nobody gave Sean Figgins a vote on the ballot. <laughs> uh, I don't, yeah, I'm not looking in the right place here, so. I wouldn't, I'm not too worried about it. Oh, here's, yeah, this is what I was looking for. Future eligibles. 2021 eligibles. We've got your Mark Burley, your A.J. Burnett, your Michael Kadire, Dan Heron, Tim Hudson, Tori Hunter, Adam LaRoche, Ar- Aramis Ramirez, Alex Rios, Nick Switcher, Dan Ugla, Shane Victorino, and Barry Zito. It is not a good year. No, I'm, no, really not. So that's a chance for guys who are... Uh, currently on the ballot getting close to make up ground so that was a fact that was a thing this year uh that's why guys are, are gaining so much ground i mean like scott Rowland's gained like close to 40 votes it's because suddenly the ballot was cleared you mm-hmm. uh you you lost edgar you lost uh fred mcgriff who a lot of people voted for who was timed you know reached his limit and then the ones who were elected musina and and halliday and uh, rivera and um who's the other one that was voting but you know there were five new spots for me on my ballot uh so one went to jeter but then the four new people i voted for next year uh if jeter and walker goes in there will be two new spots and there there won't be anybody really i don't think i'll i'm i mean i'll guarantee you i'm not voting for any of these people that are new on the ballot so um there's a chance for for some more pickups there yeah, I'll be interested to see what's going on. Alex is two more years. Or I think three. so. Yeah, that'll be interesting. And then Etrio yeah. is still five years from now. So yeah, he played this year, so his, his clock hasn't even started yet. Now it's finally. You know, but, I mean, assuming he doesn't play in twenty twenty, <laughs> <laughs> would you put it past him? I mean, not really. no, not at all. Uh, but I don't think he will. I think he would do it, but I don't know if there's a team that would that would want to do it. I don't have to go to. Uh, we won't have to go to Hollow or to Cooperstown this year, and I won't have to argue with my dad at any point. So. <laughs> yeah, well, we got it. We got uh, Lou back on the ballot. Maybe you know the Veterans Committee was one vote short last year. I think he's on in a year or two, and then Ichiro, and those will be the next uh, two votes that will affect uh, Seattle. That'd be interesting. 
Uh, all right. Well, how about Scott Rowland? We didn't talk. Oh about yeah, him. I thought we. I just I that was the change up. You know, the change up signal there to switch <laughs> it up. But we'll we'll talk about Rowland. Um, I I like Rowland's numbers are good, and part of that also is a memory for me. You know, like your gut feeling a little bit. I mean, I don't put a ton of stock in that, but a lot of the numbers verify it. I mean, where are you at on that? Well, he's one that I I will admit that I was influenced by reading a lot on him. I, he was not a guy that I thought of as a Hall of Famer when he played. Mm-hmm. But after doing research and studying his numbers, I came around to him. And yeah. I mean, the numbers verify that he was better than you probably remember. And I remembered him to be pretty good. I didn't like him for some reason. I thought he, <laughs> I, I don't know why I didn't like him. But yeah, the, like the numbers verify that he's a lot better than. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and just uh, we've never really said our ballots, but uh, the other guy I voted for uh, was uh, I think we both voted for was uh, Andrew Jones and Todd Helton. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think either of them are getting in either. No, they're not. uh, It's not trending well for for them, even with the people gaining votes. I mean, uh, Helton's at 35 percent and uh, Jones is at 27 percent. You know, Jones is a surprising to me because he was – a lot of people think he's the best defensive center fielder, you know, ever or or of his era. And he also hit 400-plus home runs. So, you know, there's a pretty good case to be made for him. I think, a lot, of, I think a lot of people just remember the fat guy stumbling around the outfield. Yeah, yeah. He, he lost it really quick. <laughs> he, he, uh, he fell off the face of the earth. But I think he had like a, you know, good long prime where – he was as good as it got at that position. Yeah, I think, um, man, you know, he was, from you read some stuff, he, he liked to go out and do some stuff. But if he would have just, you know, given a damn a little bit more, he'd probably been a lock. I mean, it's, it, of so like if you're looking at players right now, before we switch up and I'll do the change up sign again there, but like of current players, obviously Trout, like, who do you look at of current players and say, okay, that guy's a Hall of Famer? Well, Trout and Pujols are, are yeah. our first ballot. What about questions. Miggy? Miggy Cabrera. Oh, uh, yeah, he's he's first ballot, too, I'm pretty sure. Oh, uh, you know, he won the Triple Crown. There was a, I mean, he was, he was one of the top two or three hitters in baseball for about 10 years there. Oh, and he's going to – he'll add to his counting numbers as well. He's got 477 homers and 2,800 hits. He's going to be – he'll probably be a – he could be a 3,500 guy. Yeah, yeah. And then I think Scher, Scherzer and um, Verlander yeah. are certainly on that path. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think they're both probably locks at this point. Uh, of course, I'm drawing a blank on uh, who else might be, but um, – that's a pretty good start right there. Verlander has two Cy- Oh, I think uh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Verlander has two Cy Youngs, an MVP, uh rookie of the year, eight-time All-Star ERA title, and let's see what is this? What is this? Uh career. He's got 225 wins. 3.33 yeah. ERA. And he was just con- you know, he was considered the the, the- best pitcher in baseball for for a pretty good stretch there i think yadi molina is a guy that's going to get some support uh, <laughs> you have a problem with that yeah I, I think he's over romanced okay uh, but yeah, no, uh, yeah i understand what about karsten charles sabathia yeah uh i think 
Uh, he's as close as we're going to get to 300 wins. Yeah, 251 wins. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a sentiment for him. I think he's one who needs to get in early because I think uh, the longer he's not in, I think his, the mystique of CC will, will wane and he'll kind of lose support. So I think he needs to, to get in the first or second ballot while people still remember him and and uh, regard him as a, as a Hall of Fame type pitcher. Yeah, um, he made 560 starts. Wow. To pitch 3,577 in the third innings. Yeah, I mean, he's a person I don't want to commit either way, but I, I will give him very strong yeah. uh, consider. Um, and there's some young guys now that look like they're, you know, could develop into that. Well, you know, Evan White and, and <laughs> Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Kellenick. Well, I mean, the, the Jerry's podcast probably already has a plaque built for him waiting for the Hall of Fame, <laughs> him and Julio. They'll go in together. Well, how about Robbie Cano? I mean, he was, uh, he was on a Hall of Fame path and then, uh, you know, um, by the same standard of Manny Ramirez and, and, uh, Palmero and Rod and a rod, you know, he was busted for steroids, um, yeah, I don't. You know, think that's gonna hurt him. him. I don't that's think he gets in. I mean, no, he. he uh, I mean, technically, I think he already has be- just as better numbers than Jeff Kent already. Boy, he's fallen off a cliff too. Like he really went downhill last year a lot. Yeah, I wonder if they're gonna sure. play him this year. How much they're gonna play him? Oh god, how many years does he have on that contract? Like, like four more years. <laughs> How about Joey Votto? He's an interesting case. I mean, uh, I think he may not make it, but um, for a while there, it sure looked like he was Hall of Fame. Yeah, he was on that progression. It's kind of interesting, though. Besides Trout and Cabrera and, you know, a couple others, I mean, like Bryce isn't really on a Hall of Fame trajectory. No, there's – yeah, I think we pretty much named all of them that, that, uh, you know – other than the 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 Acuna's and the and the Sotos and those guys who yeah. may develop, who Mookie. may I mean Mookie but, or yeah. Lindor, they're not, not right far down the road. Oh, I, I one person that we forgot that I think is a is a lock first ballot guy is Clayton Kershaw. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. I mean, he doesn't have that many wins. No career career, but I mean, wow. Uh, th- I think how many Cy Youngs do you win? Three. Yeah, uh, yeah, he won three Cy Youngs in four years, and then I mean, here's a Cy Youngs. He's finished second twice. Yeah, first, second, first, first, third, fifth, second, and then this past year eighth. Um, he has a career two point four four ERA. Yeah, yeah, he's like Koufax. Who Koufax didn't reach two hundred wins, but what he did uh, was was so remarkable that you had to put him in. And, and you know, Kershaw's thirty one. He'll be over two hundred wins. Um, by the time it's all said and done. And, uh, yeah, I just don't think you can, he's a five time ERA champion. Uh, you know, his war is through the roof. It's, yeah, he's a lock. He's got 65 war already mm-hmm. in his career. So change up. <laughs> so you, you banging the trash can. Yeah. I'm banging the trash can. Actually, it's my desk. Um, more news came out today there, buddy. Yeah, you know, I've been preoccupied with uh, 
with the Seahawks and tra- yesterday I spent all day at the airport and flying home from oh, Philadelphia. Don't go Greg Bell on me and talk yeah. about travel <laughs> woes, all right? No, I wasn't complaining. You listen to some Kid Cudi, some rap too, and tell them when you're really listening to Barry Manilow. Uh, I was saying that not to complain, but to explain why I didn't really have time to read much up on this mm-hmm. latest uh, cheating thing. Um, but I did right before we started skim that article in The Athletic. And uh, you've now got the last or two of the last three World Series winners uh, under a microscope for cheating. The Astros and the uh, 2017 Astros and the 2018 Red Sox. Um, so the, the latest for people who didn't see it is that the, now the Red Sox are being investigated for cheating in 2018 for using the replay room where, where, uh, teams have a personnel station so that the manager, when they wants to know whether to, uh, call for a replay, it consults with the replay person who watches it over. So, Predictably, teams were using that video feed to get signs and things like that. Apparently, the Red Sox were were doing that extensively in 2018. If you recall, in 2018, Marco's Marco Gonzalez got beat up a little bit at Fenway Park in a start, and he made the accusation there that they were stealing his signs. Yeah, I, I think uh, was that publicly or private? Yeah, no, it was post game. Uh, yeah, I think this. Suspicion has been rampant among baseball, and uh, you know it's, it's it's as that article point out, it's just so hard to mo- monitor. You know, now they have stationed per- in 2019, they had personnel stationed there to make sure that teams wouldn't do that. But as uh, the article pointed out, what's to keep you from from somebody at home or something? You know, somebody watching from a different place, uh, emailing you, and you you can just go to your locker in between innings and look at the email that yeah. that tells you that. So, I mean, technology is so advanced now nowadays that it's going to be super hard. Which you know, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Passon had an article today saying that they're about two weeks away from administering the penalties for the Astros and mm-hmm. that it's expected to be severe and I think it's at this point it's just incumbent on Rob Manfred to, to lay down the law and to detour future teams from doing this if they see AJ Hinch and uh, Jeff Lunau the general man the manager and the general manager suspended for the year or something uh, I think that's going to make people think real hard long and hard from from doing that again and that's what Passing road, he says you can expect long suspensions. And you know, Alex Cora was the bench coach for the Astros in 2017, and the manager for the Red Sox in 2018. So uh, I think we could see uh, Alex Cora potentially suspended as well. Oh, I, I think so. I mean, you know, he's the one who he got. He's a big part of this, and and. You gotta, you gotta drop the hammer. You just have to. You have to, you have to put the fear of punishment into these guys, because if you don't, they'll keep doing. It. It's like the fifty-game suspension and stuff. Even like if it may tarnish your reputation, but who was it? Like a couple of those guys got popped for the fifty-game drug suspension, and they came back and they didn't care. Like you know they. Johnny Gomes or whatever those guys, they came back and played. They still got a nice contract the next year. It was still worth it in the long run. Um, and I, I think you've got to um, you've got to drop the hammer and make it 
so punitive that teams don't want to mess with this. I they, well, Luno should be done for a year automatically. So should AJ Hinch. Yeah, and and that's huge for the for the Astros. And you should now, pop them on dra- draft picks. That's another thing that yeah. scares the hell out of teams. Just popping them on draft picks. And I'm sure there's going to be massive fines too. I mean, use all three of those. Those are the avenues you have. Now, what's it? What really is going to be a tough call for for Manfred is do you suspend players? And according to this article by Jeff, uh, he, they're, they're not expected to, um, uh, suspend any players, but, um, you know, that, that's a tough call, but you know, if the players aren't, don't feel the, the wrath, what's to keep them. They don't care that those, that the executives, no. it's not going to be a deterrent no, for very, them. You're very correct on that. You need the, I don't know, players just, there's got to be something. There's got to be a better way to do this than what they're doing it, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the day is coming where, and coming fast, where there's going to have to be sort of like the NFL system where, you know, plays are called in through helmets from the sideline, uh, you know, headwear, you know, earpieces of some sort so that the catcher can <laughs> give the sign without uh, it being stolen. Um, we're although moving the president, we're moving the president. No, like the <laughs> Secret service out there. The, the football has been fumbled. Football. <laughs> um, uh, so, but there's, you know, that's uh, rife with possibility of, uh, you know, problems as well. You know, that you could, could that be intercepted or, uh, somehow. So yeah, it's, but these are problems that Bowie Coon and the happy Chandler didn't have, uh, Kenesaw mountain land is, you know, never anticipated that they would have a video review room would be a, a source of sight stealing. But um, here we are. Yeah, I'll be interested to see. I, I hope they drop the hammer just because I think that's what you have to do. You have to make sure people do not do this anymore. That's um, put in a lot of the credibility of the game. I know everybody cheats in the game and everything like that, but that's that's where it's at. Um We'll see. Uh, as far as the hometown nine is concerned, not much is going on, man. It was a quiet Christmas. Like, I didn't even have the panic that I normally do or the <laughs> anxiety. I mean, I talked to Jerry a little bit on and off the record, and he was pretty adamant that he didn't think they would do anything over the holidays. I heard they might have been close with a reliever kind of right after Christmas, but that didn't materialize. I don't know the reliever, but I th- heard that they might. Um, you know, I, I assume they're still talking to Taiwan Walker and Jimmy Nelson and some of these other guys, but, um, as far as starting that starter, but it's been weird, Larry, it's been really weird. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what we're going to see the rest of the off season is the moves are going to be that type of moves. Guys like Taiwan Walker who are coming off injuries or, you know, the second and third tier free agents. And uh, that's that's where they are. They're committing young, and uh, there's no need to change that now. I mean, that's uh, the the premier free agents are off the books anyway, with a couple of exceptions. Josh Donaldson's still out there. Um, yeah, there's, uh, he's not on their radar. I and I don't think that they can you know push any Kyle Seager trade until Donaldson gets signed. Right. At least yeah. that's what I was kind of hearing from. Sources within the organizations, yeah, they any talk, any possibility of moving Seager won't be determined until they can can uh, figure out what they're going to do with with where people teams figure out what they're going to do with Donaldson. Um, well, one thing about this off season is everything happened uh, 
so much earlier. You know, the big signings were at the around the winter meetings where, you know, last year you still had uh, Harper and um, who's the other big free agent last year? Um, I mean, Harper didn't sign till March 2nd. Uh, and um, oh, uh, the other yeah, uh, b- 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 the the uh, the Padres uh, oh, Manny, Manny Machado yeah, yeah that, that happened in spring training because I went over and covered his, his press conference over in Peoria so I mean you had the two big free agents on the market didn't sign until spring training had started and that held up stuff and this year that was the the big free agents were signed long ago so I think it's a lot, it's it's at least opened up uh, where where everything will be resolved more or less going into spring training except for the real fringe guys yeah I I mean. I don't know. I don't have a preference on any of those guys. It'd be cool if they brought Taiwan back. I liked him. I don't know how great he is as a pitcher. He still has the same issues that he's had always before. Um, the lack of the breaking ball. And now he's coming off of arm injury. He only pitched a token inning or two last year um, because of some shoulder stuff, too, to go with the elbow. Um, you know, and any of those guys they sign are just kind of be, you know, lottery tickets per se. Um you know, I, yeah. I think I think they need another more established reliever, and I'm sure there's some of those guys around. Yeah, Steve Ciszek just signed with the White Sox today. I saw. Yeah. So I mean, maybe it'll be somebody like that or a bounce back. I haven't really looked that closely. I mean, again, even if that say say they bring in a guy like you know, like it would have been Ciszek or you know Sergio Romo or somebody like that. All they're hoping is that he pitches really well for two months or three months and they can move them at the deadline for another piece. It's not like it's a long-term fix or anything. Yeah. That's gotta be a weird existence for guys like that. You know, you're it's for solid, like middle relievers, you know, you're just going to be an itinerant worker. You're going to, you're going to be, you're going to sign with somebody. They may trade you at the deadline. Then the next year you're going to be with somebody else. And, uh, you know, I mean, you're making great money. CSAC signed for $6 million. But it, it's kind of hard for those guys to find a find a home uh, because they're they're so into, they're they're so interchangeable and uh, teams are always always need guys like that but they don't really want to pay them necessarily. I didn't get a look at that. What is the what did Passon or was it Buster say about the the automatic strike zone? When do they think they're going to put that into effect? Two years from now? I'm not sure if they actually. He had Buster a, had a date on it, but he said it's uh, coming quicker than expected. Yeah, exactly. Huh. And uh, um, that's yeah, that's that's going to change things considerably. It's like, you know, I saw Shannon had a tweet to this effect, but it's really going to change uh, catching um, expectations and uh, requirements because pitch framing is such a big deal. Pitch framing suddenly becomes uh, non-existent because he's. It's the the, ump, the 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 robot umpire is going to call it a strike or not. It doesn't matter how you frame it. Yeah, suddenly, so, uh, suddenly, Omar Narvaez isn't that bad of a. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and uh, throwing skills and calling the game will become paramount now for for catchers and offense as well as offense. So, you know, guys who have made their living because they're uh, skillful pitch framers suddenly are less far less valuable all right well um we can wrap it up here what are, 
Yeah, I heard you. You you were yawning a couple of times, so it's probably time. Well, I went to the gym today and I gave blood, <laughs> and I, you know, it's a, it's been a busy day for me. I actually had to do stuff. I haven't got this is nap time around three, so I get my nap in. No, we'll get um, we'll go again next week. We'll try and come up with something. We might do just like a mailbag thing next week of just answering people's questions because maybe that'll be you know unless they make a signing or something with our luck like i'm going to record all this and get this all done and then tomorrow morning they'll announce a signing (laughs) so well it's probably not going to be big enough to make us re-record oh no 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 that'll just be me talking instead but maybe we'll do a a mailbag thing or something fun like that instead so all right man I'm, i'm leaving for green bay on saturday if they win uh, you know, it's going to be Seahawk mania. So, oh, I know. I, I have to go up to Seahawks tomorrow to help you out. So, I'll be up there. All right. All right. We'll have to go to Dino's for lunch. Huh? No, isn't that free lunch Wednesday? Oh, that's right. Free lunch Wednesday. Yeah, I think I'd rather right. go to Dino's. So, all right. Uh, thanks again, man. And I all will right. talk to you soon. Okay. See you tonight. Bye bye. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast presented by the Seattle Times with your host, Ryan Divish. Thanks to the Midnight Salvage Company for providing the beds and bumper music for the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. You can reach Ryan via email, rdivish at seattletimes.com. Follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Divish or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ryan Divish. Thanks for listening.